The Infernal Bodyguard Written by Santalatron Read by Literarian Chapter 7 Date Night, Part 1 Alistair had spent most of the day hidden away in his room under the pretense of writing. To be fair, he had attempted to write, but he was far too distracted to get anything meaningful down. All he could think of was having Crowley all to himself tonight and finding out what made the man tick. And if they just so happened to do this in close physical proximity, then all the better. On the surface, he seemed so caustic and detached, but there were moments when something else peeked out, something altogether kinder and softer, and Alistair was excited at the prospect of getting to that side of him, to the Crowley that was under all the layers of sarcasm and swagger and tight black clothing that served as his armour. When he finally emerged in the evening, he came down to find Crowley pacing in the entrance hall. He indulged himself while he was unseen, taking in Crowley's appearance for a moment. His usual monochromatic style was enhanced with the tactile texture of the clothes he'd chosen, his hair just begging to have fingers buried in it. He moved like a caged animal, waiting to be released, or maybe tamed. Alistair put a stop to that thought before he got completely carried away and took a couple of deliberate, loud steps on the stairs. Crowley's head snapped up to see him and his lips parted in a silent gasp. Alistair had put some effort in, but in truth he preferred to be comfortable, so he'd mostly gone with what he usually wore, just upgrading bits of it. He knew his body wasn't built for stylish clothing the way Crowley's was. He kept his stone-coloured suit, but relegated his usual faded velvet waistcoat for the evening in favour of a light blue silk one, layered over a white shirt with a butterfly collar, tied with his usual beige and taupe tartan bow tie, the matching silk handkerchief in his breast pocket. It was his own tartan, so he was going to wear it tiny golden book-shaped cufflinks that Anathema had given him a few Christmases ago adorned his wrists, and his gold pocket watch took pride of place with its matching gold chain. He placed Crowley's pin on his jacket lapel. He'd long ago ceased trying to tame the hair on his head, accepting that it was going to do what it wanted regardless of anything he tried. Crowley continued to stare wordlessly, and Alistair began to worry that he'd judged it wrong. Is this... am I... Uh, should I have worn something different? He faltered as he got to the bottom step. No, came an almost instant, hoarse but very definite reply. 
Crowley cleared his throat. <clears throat> I mean, no, you're perfect. It's perfect. You look great, he said in gentler tones, snapping his jaw shut and looking away. Joey, he asked, sweeping one arm out and gesturing toward the garage before sauntering away, his gait even more irregular than usual. When Alistair managed to collect himself enough to follow, he donned his coat from the cupboard and found Crowley waiting by the passenger door, black wool coat on with the collar turned up to flash the red lining, holding the door open for him. He took the offered hand to help him in, relishing the feeling of Crowley's lean hand in his own. His hands were slender and slightly cool to the touch, and Alastair loved to watch them move. Every time Crowley spoke, they would dance through the air, conducting an invisible orchestra of imagination. They were graceful, clever hands, and Alastair couldn't help wondering what it would feel like to be touched by clever hands like that. Passenger door closed, Crowley walked around the car and slid into the driver's seat. He seemed to fit in the car as if it were designed for him, which was a ridiculous notion because the car was conceived in an age when men rarely ever reached Crowley's stature, yet there he was, somehow wearing the car like a bespoke designer suit, his elegant hands resting lightly on the steering wheel. The engine roared to life, the garage doors and the gate opened, and with the pseudo-confident grin of a man with a plan, they were off. Crowley drove at a leisurely pace, and Alistair had the distinct impression that it was taking him quite a bit of concentration to do so. He was thankful for it, because he found it thrilling enough to be there, just the two of them, without needing to worry about their speeds. Where are you taking me this evening, then? Alistair asked, sat with his hands in his lap. Ah, uh, if I told you that, then it wouldn't be a surprise. It's not far, but I'm told you've never been there before. Crowley replied, his eyes resolutely on the road. Ah, uh, it must be somewhere new then. I do believe I've tried every establishment within a five-mile radius, Alistair joked. Nope, opened in 1922. Crowley grinned at him. He had always loved a bit of mischief, and the confused look on Alistair's face was going to make it all the sweeter when he worked out where they were going. Then I very much doubt I've never been there, Alistair said simply. We'll have to see, won't we? They finished the rest of the short drive in a vaguely companionable silence or as companionable as you can be when both parties are equally too nervous to know what to say. Crowley had tried the radio, but jabbed it back to silence after he recognized the first few bars of Queen's good old-fashioned lover boy. He pulled up outside a light stone, late Edwardian-style building on Piccadilly. 
Crowley jumped out and strode around to Alistair's side to open the door before he could do it himself. He nodded at the valet, who came over to take the keys and move the car to the parking area. Alistair was still rather confused. Crowley, we're not going here, are we? You're right that I've never been. They won't let us in without the proper credentials, he said, looking up at the building sadly. Crowley merely leaned in and murmured conspiratorially, Leave it to me. Alistair tried to blame the cold for the way his skin tingled and failed dismally. Crowley bounded up the front steps with his hands in his pockets as if he owned the place. Alistair was momentarily so distracted by the sway of his hips that he almost forgot to follow him. He leapt into life and bustled up the steps behind him. Crowley had paused at the top step so he could hold the door open for Alistair, who entered with a mixture of scepticism and barely restrained hope. He'd always wanted to come here, but never managed to convince them to let him in. Crowley shrugged off his coat, and Alistair did the same, folding it neatly over his arm as he looked around the entrance hall. Gentlemen, welcome to the Royal Air Force Club. May I see your credentials? The young woman behind the desk was polite but firm, and it was clear that this was members only. Alistair's face fell. He'd never made it past this desk. Crowley flashed him a sly smile and pulled out a small identity card, which he casually handed over to the woman behind the desk. She looked at it, nodded, and handed it back. Welcome, Wing Commander Crowley. Please sign in your guest and you may proceed. She slid a large ledger over the desk towards him with a gold pen attached on a chain. Crowley made the mistake of glancing at Alistair and got completely stuck on the way he was positively glowing with excitement. The sudden rush it gave Crowley broke out as a chuckle. <laughs> Easy now, Angel. You haven't seen inside yet. It might not live up to your imagination, he said as he signed the book and pushed it back. Well now, Wing Commander, I'm sure it will be just lovely. Alistair was looking at him as if he were a puppy that had just learned a new trick. Angel again. Sure. Right. I figured you'd want to see as much as possible, so I left time for a drink before dinner. There's a tavern in here that always has a good crowd. It's called the Running Horse. Crowley lowered his voice and leaned in again, looking at Alistair over his sunglasses. Officially, anyway. He nudged his head towards a door off to one side and let the momentum swing his body around to follow. Alistair was clearly keen as they were bumping shoulders in an instant as he ambled off down the corridor that was plenty wide enough for them both into the heart of the building. Should be a good crowd tonight, Crowley thought. Give him a good impression.
good for book research. The pub was down a set of ornate stairs, adorned with a breathtaking stained glass window, and it was busy, but not unmanageable. The noise level lent an upbeat slant to the atmosphere, and while it was not what would be considered rowdy, Alistair had no doubt that the establishment had seen its fair share of noteworthy nights. The RAF had a reputation to maintain, after all. They went straight up to the bar. Crowley ordered a cranberry juice and turned to look at Alistair expectantly, who looked right back at him with a challenging raise of one eyebrow. And the gin and tonic, Crowley said to the barman, tapping a black credit card on the machine. Alistair's pleased expression told him he'd got it right, and he felt that buzz again. Drinks in hand, they turned to survey the bar. The ceiling was low, with the added hazards of dark wooden beams and the matching dark wood panelling and red upholstery juxtaposed with a blue and gold theme of the rest of the building to lend a cosy atmosphere to the space. It was as if someone had transplanted a small country pub into the centre of London. It felt warm and welcoming, and Alistair could see why the patrons would enjoy this place. But being, as it was, located in a building intended for people with impeccable training and discipline, it was spotless. Do you come here often, then? Alistair asked, sipping what turned out to be a rather delicious drink as he looked around. I drop in occasionally when I'm in town. My flat's not far from here, Crowley said lazily. He was leaning on the bar in such a manner that the barman would have said he was already at the point where he would normally have a word with his mates about taking him home, were it not for the fact that he'd just served him his first drink himself and it had been non-alcoholic. Work takes me all over the place, and it's been a long time since I was a serving officer, but it's nice to come somewhere sometimes where you know what to expect. How long? Alistair began, but was abruptly interrupted as an impeccably enunciated shout went up from the other end of the bar. Look, lovely chaps, it's the bloody serpent! Crowley's face froze. Obviously not expecting that, Alistair thought. Ah, balls, Crowley muttered to himself as four well-built men holding pints approached them. They were dressed in pastel polo shirts and light-coloured chinos and all carried themselves in the poise of one who has been trained to stand on parade. Crowley stepped smartly around to Alistair's left with a wide grin on his face to intercept them. Lads, it's been a while. Still not developed a sense of style, I see, but that's forces life for you, I suppose, he joked. Ha, I see you're still a flash bastard then, one countered with a nod to his outfit. What else am I going to be, an aardvark? Crowley grinned. 
Alistair watched the banter go back and forth with professional interest as he sipped his drink. Crowley seemed to be a sharper version of himself in the presence of these men. Sharper of wit, sharper of tongue, even his movements were more staccato, his vowels more clipped. He was almost standing up straight as well, a near miracle in itself. Alistair was surprised to realize that Crowley was actually a few inches taller than him when he attempted a more presentable posture. After a while, he spoke up. Excuse me, gentlemen, he asked. But did I hear correctly that you referred to Crowley here as the serpent? The men looked him over with a curious expression. So right, lads, he's with me. This is Alistair. He's an author and a civvy, Crowley told them before turning to Alistair. It was my call sign. The RAF doesn't really go in for them like they do in the movies. They're not that imaginative. It's usually your surname with A attached on the end, but as that doesn't work for me, they decided I needed something a bit more ridiculous. These lads are from my old squadron. We flew out of Lossie together. Smithy, Jonesy, Greeny and Tinny. Crowley indicated each man in turn and Alistair was treated to four very nice handshakes. Nice in that they were both pleasant to participate in and executed in a scrupulously exact fashion. Six Squadron the one introduced as Smithy grinned as he held up his forearm to reveal a tattoo of a large black bird holding a snake. The others also pulled at various parts of clothing to show their versions of the squadron tattoo. Oh, I say, very, um, neatly done. Lovely, uh, colors. Is there a reason for the theme? asked Alistair, momentarily flustered by the sudden display of tanned and toned flesh. The eagle and snake are the sixth squadron emblem, Jonesy told him proudly. All right, chaps, put him away, Crowley grumbled, resolutely ignoring the brief flash of jealousy he felt at Alistair's reaction to his ex-colleagues. Sure, they were physically fit, but he had more brains, extra training, and would win in a fight, he tried to remember. Maybe even a fair one, too. Not getting yours out then, eh? Smithy jibed. You know full well why I can't get mine out in here, Crowley retorted. I promised your partners I wouldn't, cause you lot just can't keep your hands off me when I do. Besides, takes bloody ages to get back into these trousers. Crowley was resolutely not looking at Alistair while he said that. It was a running joke with his squadron, although admittedly not one he had used in years and he wasn't sure if he could keep his voice light and jovial if he had to say it to Alistair's face. Fortunately, they all just laughed as they usually did and Crowley felt himself breathe again. How very intriguing. 
Does the snake in your emblem have something to do with why you call him Serpent, then? Alistair asked, face a study in innocent curiosity. He thought back to the tattoo he'd glimpsed in the entrance hall at home and tried not to wonder just where the rest of it wound up. Crowley winced. Book research was one thing, but he knew where this would lead, and while he had a professional image to maintain, he was not that sort of professional. Although Alistair was certainly testing his resolve. Nah, we call him that because of the way he walks, Greeny chimed in. Snake hips, he said gleefully. Yeah, said Tinny in a darker tone. That and he's got a massive... Right, thanks lads, good seeing you but must be off. Sorry fellas, got a table reserved and you know how they get here when you're late. Catch up another time, yeah? Crowley interrupted hurriedly to a chorus of raucous laughter and elbow nudges from the men. Ooh, a full-service date, eh? jeered Smithy as Crowley put a hand on Alistair's elbow and guided him away before any more could be said. Crowley stuck his arm out behind him at the men in a single-fingered salute, which only served to make them laugh even more. Meanwhile, Alistair was looking him over with an amused intrigue and he felt the blush rising on his cheeks at the knowledge of what Alistair now had reason to be intrigued about. Empty glasses deposited back on the bar on the way past, he led Alistair away toward the restaurant. They seemed rather fun. Alistair commented as he followed Crowley, noting with mounting interest that Serpentine was indeed a fitting description for the way Crowley moved. That was them on their best behavior as you're not a rock ape, Crowley grumbled as Alistair caught up next to him. The call sign tradition does sound rather fun, although Feli sounds rather like a brand of umbrellas. Alistair sounded wistful. Crowley turned, walking backwards for a moment, to face Alistair. Guess we'll have to stick with Angel then, won't we? Oh, you wily serpent! Alistair grinned, blushing ever so slightly, and Crowley's spin back round was considerably less graceful. Do you give everyone you work with a call sign then? Yeah, bit of a habit. Crowley managed to work feet out again and grinned as he leaned towards Alistair, his hands in his pockets. But I'll only say it to their face if it's a good one, or I'm really sure they won't get the joke. Alistair was elated. He'd never had a nickname before. Well, not one I actually liked he thought, as Gabriel popped into his head. He pushed that smug face out of his mind, thinking instead about his impending dinner and absolutely not about the way his insides were a mess of goo and fierce longing brought on by something as silly as a nickname. Honestly, who swoons at that? Alistair was looking forward to the food. 
he'd heard great things about it. One of the reasons he was so keen to get in, so he hoped that it lived up to its reputation, knowing, even if it didn't, that it would take a lot more than that to ruin this night. It would just be that much sweeter if he knew whether his sinfully sinuous, night-clad companion was on the same metaphorical page about the intention of the evening as he was. The dining room itself was back up the stairs with a spectacular window that Alistair missed for the second time and was light and airy, the tall ceilings adding grandeur to the space. There were large sash windows along one wall looking out over a dark green park and crystal chandeliers hanging from the ceiling. The walls were a mixture of vaguely floral, dug egg blue wallpaper and light oak panelling. Small, round tables with floor-length white tablecloths were accompanied by dark blue leather armchairs with white piping. It balanced perfectly between relaxed and formal. Alistair was delighted to find all the glassware had the RAF club crest engraved onto them. Once the maitre d' had settled them at their table, taking their coats to the rack, Crowley relaxed a bit more into his customary sprawl. He'd long ago given up trying to force his body to adhere to conventional notions of sitting and found it far easier to just drape himself over the chair and get on with it. Alistair fortunately seemed to have escaped the encounter with his old squadron unscathed and was perusing the menu whilst sat so straight it would have made his old training instructors weep. Oh, I say, they have oysters. Are they good here, do you know? Alistair asked. Never eaten an oyster, Crowley half mumbled, somewhat lost in Alistair's excited expression. He wasn't sure how he was going to make it through the evening if Alistair kept looking at him like that. Oh, well then, you must let me tempt you, Alistair responded with a delighted smile. As if you don't do enough of that already, Crowley thought. It's not very angelic, though, is it? Tempting a poor mortal such as myself. Crowley raised one eyebrow and the corner of his mouth followed it. Poor mortal? Alistair responded, looking him over in a way that he was quickly becoming wary of. I do believe we agreed that if I am an angel, then surely you are a demon. Besides, it was a snake responsible for the original sin, you know, the very first temptation. Yeah, but then shouldn't it be me tempting you? Crowley reasoned. How do you know you aren't? Alistair countered. And by God, if this was Crowley not trying to tempt him, he realized he would have no chance if Crowley actually put some effort in. Crowley barked out a laugh. <laughs> Fine, if you want oysters, Angel, then have oysters. He sat back and gazed at Alistair as he wiggled happily. 
Then his face fell as he was struck with a horrifying realization and he picked up his menu hurriedly. The last time he'd seen Alistair eat out, he'd caused quite a scene. If he did that in here, not only would they be firmly asked to leave, but with his old squadron in the building, he would never hear the end of it. Literally. Crowley, my dear, are you all right? Alistair asked. Crowley tuned back in at the mention of his name and peered over the top of the pristinely embossed card. You look a little concerned. Mm. Oh, yeah, just thinking about how quiet it is in here, how every little noise carries. Ah, and you're worried I may make a scene? Don't worry, dear boy, I'm perfectly capable of eating quietly if the occasion calls for it. Alistair paused, his head tilted slightly, holding Crowley's gaze before lowering his voice. Unless you'd prefer me not to? Crowley's jaw dropped as Alistair smiled smugly and looked back at his menu. Would sirs care to order some drinks? Came a voice suddenly at Crowley's elbow, breaking him out of his internal, semi-coherent, spluttering monologue at just how much of a bastard his client actually was. As Crowley failed to regain his ability to speak, Alistair ordered two glasses of Sangiovese, which were dutifully brought to the table. As they arrived, Crowley's brain finished rebooting. But you... he tried. Knew exactly what I was doing? Yes, I'm rather afraid I did. It's true I enjoy my food and the staff at the clubs are all well aware of my habits. I thought it best to get it out of the way sooner rather than later. You seemed so quiet during the meal that I was sure you'd be put off and go. I must say I'm rather glad you didn't, particularly after that nasty incident with the photographer. Alistair shuddered slightly as he remembered it. Crowley was still processing all this when the waiter returned. Have you come to a decision on your drinking choice, gentlemen? And may I kindly remind sir of the restaurant dress code? He asked, looking at Crowley and placing a discreet finger next to his eye. Huh? Oh, yeah, sorry, forgot I had him on. Crowley mumbled, squinting at the light as he removed his sunglasses and slipped them in his jacket pocket. He looked down at his menu. Easily done, sir. And now may I take your order? Alistair ordered the oysters as a starter, then a filet mignon for a main. Crowley decided on venison carpaccio for a starter, followed by duck leg. Orders in hand, the waiter nodded smartly and disappeared back off to the kitchen. Only then did Crowley brave looking at Alistair. He felt extraordinarily naked and vulnerable without his sunglasses. So, 
Alistair said, fixing him with a probing stare. He so rarely saw Crowley's actual eyes, he was going to make the most of it. Wing Commander Anthony J. Crowley, eh? What does the J stand for? It's just a J, Crowley dismissed. No Jonathan, James or Jacob then? Alistair raised an eyebrow and a smirk flashed across his lips. No, it's literally just a J. That's all the agency could tell me and my original birth certificate is long gone. Crowley shrugged. Sometimes I play around with what it could be, but I've not found one I like yet. And the Crowley? Do you know where that came from? Crowley rubbed his face. Chose that myself. Lilith's maiden name. Changed it as soon as I could. Morningstar just wasn't me. Alistair studied him for a moment as he fiddled with his cutlery. He opted for a safer topic of conversation. Sort of. Well, Crowley certainly suits you. How long have you been a bodyguard then, if you don't mind my asking? Alistair swirled his wine in its glass. A few years. Six, maybe? Crowley said, deep in thought. Worked for the Met for a bit, in their protection departments. Spent a lot of time following around various minor royals, foreign dignitaries and politicians, both foreign and domestic. That was fairly tedious. Mostly involved hanging around at official functions, then trailing around shops and tourist attractions and making sure their various partners never met. Then there was the whole PM business that managed to go down when I wasn't there. Went back to them after the mandatory time off, got bored, struck out on my own. Got even more bored but with more money, then actually got a client with a serious threat and never looked back. Now I only work with people who have a credible threat towards them, otherwise I get bored and the devil finds work for idle hands, shall we say. Alistair looked both fascinated and disappointed. Crowley tried to think of something that might make a good anecdote for a book. Done a few interesting things on the job, though. One client, some minor celeb sprog, went to a paintball party for a diplomat kid's 11th birthday that got a bit out of hand. Lots of rich kids with personal protection and weapons. They turned the paintball guns on us adults, so we teamed up and corralled them all in one place. Turned out they'd been having bets over whose bodyguard was better and wanted us to prove it, so we left a couple of the more newbie crew watching the kids and let off some steam. Crowley leaned forward, picking up his wine glass, elbows resting on the table, and grinned, and Alistair was captivated by the amount of expression the sunglasses normally hid. Gosh, the worst I've had at a birthday party was when someone's three-year-old threw cake at me. So, who won then? he asked, suddenly aware he had been staring. Well, I'd argue the kids won that day, really, but in terms of the skirmish, 
Let's just say only one of us had SAS training. Even managed to make some bloke who'd wandered onto the wrong course faint when he nearly trod on me. Crowley winked, and Alistair laughed, and Crowley thought it was the most wonderful sound he had ever heard. He could watch the way Alistair's eyes crinkled at the edges and sparkled with his mirth forever, he decided. Well, I'm glad you're on my side then, Alistair said, smiling. Oh, am I? Thought you were an angel and I was a demon. Pretty much opposite sides. Not sure we get to have our own side. Crowley said, sprawling back into his chair with his wine glass cradled loosely in his fingers. He let his leg stretch out under the table, anchoring it on the table leg. I'm sure we could come to some sort of arrangement. Alistair said, leaning forward onto the table himself now and idly trailing his finger around the rim of his wine glass. He nearly jumped at the feeling of Crowley's leg sliding gently against his own. After all, Pepper insists you are a spy, so you must be used to working in the shadows. Crowley snorted at that, glad of the distraction from Alistair's hypnotic ministrations to his wine glass. Sorry, Angel, not a spy, just a bodyguard now. Yes, how on earth did you get into that? How does one decide that they want to throw themselves in the path of danger for a living? What could possibly make you want to commit to taking a potentially fatal blow for others, for me? Alistair fixed him with a stare that spoke volumes. Crowley thought for a moment, wondering what on earth had made this wonderful man think he was worth anything less than the world. Alistair watched Crowley's unguarded eyes flit through a variety of emotions before his face settled and he looked back at Alistair. Can't write he shrugged. Their starters arrived, and Alistair tucked in excitedly, napkin placed carefully on his lap, trying not to miss the contact where Crowley's leg had withdrawn as he sat up. He was true to his word and managed to contain his enjoyment to purely rapturous facial expressions with the odd stifled moan of appreciation. Crowley was watching his face with interest, not sure if this even more restrained version was helping or not. He watched the way Alistair's eyelids fluttered closed when he enjoyed something. Watched the way his throat moved when he swallowed. He was idly wondering what he would have to do to earn that sort of expression when Alistair looked up at him and he belatedly remembered that he wasn't wearing his sunglasses anymore. You've been watching me like a snake might watch its prey. Do you want one? Alistair asked, holding up an oyster. Crowley decided it was as good a story as any he could think of. Well, I suppose I'm curious to know what's so good about something that looks like snot in a shell, he said, 
shrugging his shoulders. Alistair rolled his eyes. Just try one, he said, holding one out across the table towards him. Crowley put a hand up to take it, but Alistair moved it away. Don't be silly. I've seasoned this one and I won't have you spilling it. Much simpler for me to just give it to you. Now, open up, dear boy, he said, holding the oyster out towards Crowley's mouth. It was a bad idea. Crowley knew it was a bad idea. But he was very bad at not doing things that were a bad idea. He leaned forward and opened his mouth. Alistair brought the shell to his lips, gently touching the tip of one manicured finger against Crowley's lower lip to steady his hand and tipped the oyster up so the flesh slipped inside Crowley's mouth. Crowley barely felt the oyster slide onto his tongue, so electrified was he with the faint touch of Alistair's finger to his lip. He twisted the knife of self-sabotage and looked up at Alistair's face. He was watching Crowley's mouth with avid attention, his own mouth hanging slightly open, his tongue just visible where it arched up to meet his top teeth in what Crowley was choosing to think of as concentration. He forgot all about the oyster sliding towards his throat as he stared at the tongue gently teasing along neat, white teeth, and promptly choked on it. Coughing and spluttering, he managed to swallow it with only mildly irritated glances from the neighbouring tables. Crowley, my dear, you're supposed to chew it, otherwise you miss out on the flavour, Alistair said in a mildly mocking tone, although his face had taken on a rather rosy hue. Crowley suddenly had a mad urge to find out if he could fit under the floor-length tablecloth, but even he could tell that would be a very bad idea to try here. Once they had finished their starters, the waiter came to clear the plates away and Alistair leaned forward again. So, my dear, indulge me. I can understand you living a life of adventure and excitement, but you must forgive me if I say you don't seem the type for a forces career. How did you end up being in the Royal Air Force in the first place? He asked as if they'd been having a perfectly normal conversation and he hadn't just done something so intimate, so sensual, that it should probably be classed as unfit for public consumption. Crowley realized that he might be out of his depth for once. He was teetering on the edge of his professional life, getting dragged down into his personal life and could see how easy it would be to just saunter vaguely downwards, one step at a time, and let it all get tangled when Alistair looked at him like that. It was terrifying beyond measure, and he'd never felt so alive in his life. Well, as you can imagine, I wasn't the easiest kid to teach at school. 
there were very few teachers who got me and eventually I got kicked out. I was 16 and Sam gave me a choice. Army, Navy, Air Force. I liked the idea of flying and turned out to be pretty good at it, which saved my ass a lot when I pissed off the officers. I wasn't a model cadet by any means, but it turns out being naturally talented with a set of wings and an ability to talk your way out of most situations helps you get away with a fair bit. Someone in command obviously saw something my training officers didn't because I ended up in command of a squadron. In truth, I only held the rank of wing commander a few months before I left. Crowley shrugged. The main course arrived and they got caught up in Alistair appreciating his filet mignon for a while before he spoke again. Is your devil-may-care attitude why you ended up with the SAS then? Alistair asked. Yep, they wanted someone good at flying with little regard for personal safety and I'd already demonstrated both. Alistair's brows crinkled slightly. The selection process is no joke and training was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's come in handy a few times since. Crowley shrugged, although he was not sure there was any training in the world that could have prepared him for Alistair. Did you enjoy it? Alistair asked, watching Crowley's face intently. He gave it some thoughts before answering. Yeah, I did, I think. I tend to feel more in focus when it's a high-stress situation. And there it was. He'd never told anyone else that, and it had just come out without any warning. Alistair's genial manner was dangerous, he decided. The final three days of interrogation that was part of his SAS selection would have been a lot shorter, Crowley decided, if they had Alistair in their arsenal. So what happened? What caused you to change career? Alistair asked, and they always did at some point. Crowley looked down at his wine glass. Medically discharged. Parachute failure. Hadn't even been there that long. Oh, good lord, Crowley, what happened? Alistair asked, aghast. Crowley looked back up at him, slightly dumbfounded. What do you think happened, Alistair? The redacted version is, I fell. Got foobart, it hurt, I spent time in hospital, I got sent on my way. Alistair could see Crowley really didn't want to talk about it. Right. Well, what sort of devilish thing did you do that you got expelled at 16 then? Alistair tried. Asked a lot of difficult questions, and then one day I stopped asking questions and used actions to educate the school bully on right and wrong after he took a smaller kid's apple. Crowley said, his tone lighter, but his face still guarded. 
He had one arm wrapped over his torso, the hand crooked around his other elbow as he supported his wine glass held in front of his face. And they threw you out for that? Alistair asked. Well, they ran out of root notes. Besides, I educated him the only way he understood. Violently. He got to stay in hospital, I got expelled. Crowley said, and took a long drink before putting the empty glass back on the table heavily. Alistair felt a flash of something dark and intense at the thought of Crowley being capable of that sort of violence. He'd known he was, in a detached sort of way, it was logical for someone in his line of work and with his background to be so, but actually hearing about it was a different matter. He shivered at the idea of it. Crowley seemed to have so many hidden depths that he was feeling an increasing desire to uncover. He wanted to know all about him, get right down to the core and find out what powered this creature of perpetual energy. Crowley seemed so different to himself, so much more vibrant and alive, he made Alistair desire things he hadn't wanted for so long, made him feel like anything was possible if he just grabbed hold of it and hung on tight enough. He was utterly fascinating. Alistair couldn't see how he would ever be interested in a slow, cautious, boring recluse such as himself. Crowley simply went too fast to even notice him. Yes, well, violence is occasionally justified when it lends weight to a moral argument, Alistair said primly. Crowley snorted and raised an eyebrow at him. <laughs> Nothing moral about some of the arguments I've had, Angel, he said darkly. Alistair felt the shiver run down his spine again. This may not have been the side of Crowley he was expecting to uncover, but by God did it call to him. Oh, pray do tell. Alistair retorted, his voice low and slightly breathless. Oh, I don't pray, Angel, and I don't tell. Crowley's voice was like honey, all thick and smooth and promising a sweet reward if you watched out for the bees and their stings. Alistair could feel the heat in his gaze as Crowley's body stilled, the delicious tension building between them. Alistair extended a leg under the table, searching for Crowley's. He felt his ankle brush up against something, but it quickly moved away as Crowley looked down at his food and broke the spell. Can't, even if I wanted to. Signed the Official Secrets Act. And they do not send rude notes, Crowley said more lightly, all the tension suddenly dissipating as his body jittered back to life. He picked at his duck leg. Not a date.
Alistair let out a long, quiet, shaky exhale and sipped his wine, bringing his leg back underneath him. He yearned to find out what this delectable creature was capable of. He seemed so complex, so nuanced. Alistair would never have dared to write such a fascinating character for fear of being too unbelievable, and yet here he was, right in front of him. Mains finished, the waiter reappeared and swapped their plates for a dessert menu. Crowley ordered a ristretto, and Alistair didn't consider any meal complete without a sweet finish, and so ordered devil's food cake. When the cake arrived, Alistair eyed it hungrily before digging in. Surely Angel's food cake would have been more appropriate? Crowley teased, sipping his coffee. Alistair looked up at him, licking the thick, dark ganache from the corner of his mouth in a manner that Crowley found frustratingly distracting. Maybe I just fancied a taste of something a little more demonic this evening. Crowley inhaled his coffee and doubled over coughing while Alistair smirked. Throat cleared, he looked back up to see Alistair's eyes crinkling in the corners as he delicately placed the next forkful of dark, sticky chocolate cake into his mouth with no small degree of smugness. Bastard! Crowley couldn't help himself as he watched the next loaded fork go into Alistair's mouth, gently nudging his tongue before his lips slowly closed around it. He watched the fork glide back out through those impossibly pink lips, now nothing but streaks of dark chocolate ganache left on it. Alistair's eyelashes fluttered against his pink-dusted cheekbones and a small moan escaped as he relished the flavour. Crowley tracked the movement of his throat as he swallowed before glancing back to the fork, lips parted in anticipation. If you want some of this, you only have to ask, Crowley. Alistair said, looking at him demurely through his lashes, pausing just long enough to make Crowley start to doubt he was talking about cake, then digging the fork back in and holding it out towards him with one eyebrow raised. Crowley was never very good at backing down from a challenge. Before he could remind himself not to, he leant forward, looked Alistair straight in the eye, extended his tongue out and used it to drag the fork into his mouth. He heard Alistair's intake of breath before he closed his teeth over the fork and drew back, taking the cake from the fork as he went. It was utterly shameless and totally inappropriate behaviour for where he was and, more importantly, who he was with, but he felt electrified. The bastard managed to recover quickly, however. So, tell me, Crowley, have you ever been in love? 
Crowley managed to swallow the cake properly this time rather than inhale it as he mentally stumbled at the sudden change in direction. Again with the question about love. Not really the kind of person you fall in love with, he said as casually as possible. And it was true. His lifestyle didn't really leave time for more than short flings. His job wasn't exactly conducive to building a life with someone and he'd made his peace with that. This was his part in the world and that was okay. At least it was. What? No maidens swooning over you as you carry them to safety? Alistair looked mock-shocked. Crowley snorted at that. <laughs> I don't make a habit of physically carrying people away from danger. So no, no swooning. You? He fiddled with his coffee cup's handle. Alistair sighed and put his fork down on his plate. Well... I only tend to carry books around these days and I don't make a habit of swooning. As for love, I thought I was once, but it turned out to be something completely different that he just told me was love. After that, I decided I was done with relationships, which turned out to be a blessing in the end because I wrote my first book and the rest, as they say is history. Alistair picked his fork back up and resumed his pudding. Crowley tried to ignore the first two statements and failed. I'm sorry you had to be heard before you could write your stories, he said, and it sounded so genuine it made Alistair's heart ache. Not your fault, my dear. These things happen. To people like me. But you didn't deserve it. How anyone could treat you like that is beyond me. And frankly, if he ever comes near you again, let me know. And as your bodyguard, I will have to have a very morally weighted argument with him. Crowley said, scowling. And Alistair's impossibly expressive face found yet another complicated expression that Crowley couldn't quite work out. Oh my, that's... that's very kind of you, dear, but hopefully it won't come to that, he said, his voice tinged with awe. He knew it was Crowley's job to protect him, but it still felt surreal that someone would want to go to such lengths to do so for him. He scooped up the last piece of cake and popped it into his mouth before putting his fork permanently back down on the plate. He washed the cake down with the last gulp of red wine and sat back, dabbing his lips fastidiously with the napkin. Crowley found himself staring again. It was ridiculous and pompous and something you only ever saw in old movies, but for some reason he loved it. He'd expected Alistair to be the same vacuous, self-absorbed, spoiled brat that he'd encountered any time he'd been employed by a celebrity, 
but he'd turned out to be nothing like he'd ever encountered in his life. He was unbearably humble, for one, and seemed to have made being unobjectionable an art form. Crowley would have thought him a walking doormat were it not for the little flashes of bastard that hinted at a strength of personality that Crowley could only hope to aspire to. Had he been religious, he would have called it faith. The one thing that Crowley had never possessed, his blackened brimstone core too volatile to cultivate it. Although... Perhaps he just hadn't found the right thing to put his faith in. The right person. Alistair was like a siren calling him in from the stormy seas to safe haven, but instead of the usual rocks on which he would dash himself, Alistair's harbour had nothing but calm waters where he could ground himself and rest finally, where Crowley felt he might never leave if he dared to let himself be drawn in. For an ever-moving creature, drawn to danger, it was terrifying just how much he wanted to be drawn in. My dear, that was utterly delightful. I have to thank you for bringing me here. Tonight has well and truly lived up to my hopes. Alistair smiled at Crowley in a way that made his stomach flip. So far? And there it was again, that challenge that he knew he was powerless to ignore, the need to please Alistair already consuming him. Crowley smiled and waved for the bill, commandeering the cart machine before Alistair had any chance to pay. You fiend, you didn't need to do that, Alistair said, smiling indulgently as they stood up, the waiter returning with their coats. Meh, I'll just expense it back to you anyway, Crowley said with a cheeky grin as he put his sunglasses back on. This earned him a fond tut as they walked back down the hall toward the main entrance, more relaxed with each other than when they entered, but somehow both feeling an even deeper pull towards the other. Then Crowley heard running feet around the corner, and all of a sudden Alistair found himself gently, but firmly, pushed against the wall by Crowley's arm as he took up an unmistakable position in front of him. Alistair knew he should be afraid, but all he could think about was just how much he wanted to touch the vibrant hair now in front of his face. Crowley had moved on instinct. He had assumed that the RAF club would be one of the safest places in the country, but instincts were hard to ignore. He frowned as the running feet brought their owner around the corner and a cadet jogged towards them, looking down at a clipboard, clearly in a hurry to get to something. She completely ignored them as she jogged past, and Crowley waited until she was around the next corner before relaxing his stance. Thank you, Alistair whispered behind him. Nyeh, 
Crowley grumbled as he moved away and walked off again, hands in his pockets. Alistair's breath on his neck had given him goosebumps, and the words themselves weren't helping either. Finally, at the front door, Crowley watched the valet scurry off to collect the Bentley while he signed Alistair out again, and they put their coats back on and leisurely made their way outside to the waiting car. Alistair realized that, despite having wanted to get into the RAF club for years, wanting to explore their art, their archives, their atmosphere, their library, he'd utterly failed at looking at anything apart from the infernally tempting man to his left. Once they were set back inside the Bentley, Crowley having held the door open again, Alistair sighed at the thought of the night ending. That little moment of protection had only fanned the fire that had been steadily smouldering away inside him. I know a couple of bars if you want to get another drink. Crowley asked, hoping he could let go of the tension the unexpected cadet had unwittingly caused. Oh, my dear, a drink sounds lovely, but I think I've had my fill of public places for the night. I can take you home, then. Your wine cellar is probably better stocked than most of the bars I know anyway, Crowley offered. I suppose so. But I don't really want to go home, either. Michael and Uriel will be there, and they'll tell me off for drinking at home when I should be working. Michael's a bit of a stickler for discipline, and I don't want to get Gabriel upset at me. Alistair mumbled into his lap. Crowley saw the disappointment and knew he couldn't have that. He couldn't let anything get in the way of Alistair having a good time tonight. Not when he was in charge. With so far ringing in the back of his mind, and before Crowley had a chance to think, before any part of his brain managed to catch on to what he was about to do, he opened his mouth and spoke. You can stay at my place, if you like. 